Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I'm joined by my co-host, Karen Henson. What up? Karen, what's up? That what's was not up, nearly as enthusiastic you know, as, as... Let's try that again. Hang on. Do you want me to do the same one? <laughs> I mean, whatever. Let's, let's try this again. Hey, uh, welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I'm here with my co-host, Karen Henson. Hey, hey, hey. What's up? <laughs> You, you know what? I can't please everybody. It's too much pressure. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Hey, if you joined us uh, last time, then you got the privilege of hearing Dr. Bruce Demarest, who's been with us uh, talking through the spiritual life and just the journey of discipleship. And so if you were with us last time, then you probably left the uh, podcast feeling maybe a little bit discouraged. We left on a downer You're welcome. note. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. We're glad you tuned back in. Yeah, some of you guys have probably been waiting for this. Like, man, please come out with the good news. Um, but before we get into the good news, we're actually going to go a little bit deeper into... <laughs> the difficulty before we start to see uh, how Christ is redeeming all of this. So first of all, Bruce, thanks for being with us uh, again. We, we really appreciate it. Yes, folks. So we were picking up uh, the spiritual journey again, and we pointed out that often in the middle of the journey of busyness and occupation and productivity, we, we come face to face with ourselves. We come face to face with the wall uh, through burnout, through uh, a life transition, a external event, internal struggle, perhaps the loss of a job and career, the loss of a marriage and divorce, or wayward children, or whatever the case may be, we hit a wall uh, on our journey and ask the question, what is God? Mm. I'd like to reflect on the wall. Um, some years ago, my wife took students to uh, Germany, and she brought home a stone from the Berlin Wall as it was being dismantled, and we have that prominently displayed in our home. Mm. Um, so there are many purposes for a wall in life and in terms of our Christian journey. But um, let me just outline a few of the, uh, of the effects of a wall. Uh, a wall typically slows us down on our journey. We come confronted with this uh, object and it slows us down. And that suggests that God is bringing us to a, a time of pause, a time of reflection, a time of contemplation about our life and our priorities and our values. It, it halts us in our tracks and causes us to say, what is going on? Mm-hmm. A wall often evokes curiosity. You know, what's on the other side of this wall? And so the wall that we confront in our lives causes us to ponder what is God doing in my life? Mm-hmm. What does he want to achieve uh, on my journey? What kind of challenges, blessings, and graces lie ahead in God's good plan for my life? Uh, another outcome of a wall is that many walls have graffiti written on them, unfortunately, right? And at life's walls, we wrestle with many confusing and distressing issues. What is going on inside of me? Uh, Have I come apart? Uh, Have I backslidden? Have I lost my faith? Am I no longer in the family? What what is going on internally, spiritually? Another point of a wall is that a wall is, is silent. It doesn't speak. And in times of confusion, 
and uncertainty and, and crisis, we often fail to hear God speak to us in our experience. And I would say this is a primary feature of uh, the walls that we hit uh, several times in the course of our lives. We fail to hear God speak to us. And classical spiritual authorities have called this the dark night of the soul. Mm. Another is that uh, dismantling a wall, taking down a wall, like the Berlin Wall, or our individual walls, taking them down brick by brick is difficult, and it's much easier to be done with helpers in our life, with spiritual friends and spiritual companions to help us navigate the wall. And then I might mention finally that uh, some walls are completely abandoned and left to ruin as we look out upon life, perhaps in our inner cities especially, or in uh, ancient ruins, they're abandoned and they're left uh, torn down. And this suggests to me that some Christians give up completely at the wall. They've hit the wall, they say, where is God? Why has God not shown up? They're disappointed with God. And so they forsake, our tendency is to forsake the path of discipleship or to abandon the faith altogether. Mm. And we dare not do that. We dare not throw in the towel mm. when we hit our individual walls. Mm. Yeah, so I think the interesting thing about this is that this is a critical moment in the life of discipleship. And I think for a couple of reasons, because one, it's the just natural consequence of uh, our ego beginning to die. John of the Cross, who you, you've mentioned, uh, whose classic work, The Dark Night of the Soul, is about this, where he starts his book off by saying, the, the Lord has led me into this. He's uh, something intentional is happening. And so, I think there's a distinction between, um, because a lot of people will hear this and think, oh, you know, external trauma, internal struggle, identify with all those things, I must be at a wall. And I think we want to make a, the distinction between a dark night of the soul and just like the consequences of poor choices, if, if that makes uh, sense. So, if you go home and beat your wife and kick your dog, then you're probably going to get put in jail. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're experiencing a dark night of the soul. Now, I do think that there are instances like that where the Lord can use the consequences of poor choices to, to bring about that tension in your life to bring you to repentance. But I think, Bruce, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what the classic spiritual fathers talk about this has to do more with the spiritual crisis of where is God, who is God, who am I in relation to God, what is the spiritual life even about? That kind of disorientation is characteristic of this. Is that true? Yeah, I think the classical authorities said that uh, that the heart grows fonder through absence, mm. you know, for example, among spouses. And uh, God then deliberately withdraws the sense of our presence from him, creating, as it were, a spiritual vacuum that propels the heart of the believer uh, Godward to know him, engage him and know him better. Mm. So uh, Jesus, of course, said that I'm with you always. But the issue in the dark night is that we experientially and at an experiential level, we fail to uh, sense God's presence. Mm. I think it's interesting that uh, Gerald May in his book, The Dark Night of the Soul, broadens the, the sense of the dark night 
to include any experience where our sense of God's presence is diminished or absent altogether. Mm. And that could include these uh, crises and uh, danger points of life where God seems to be absent, and it might not be the classical idea of the dark night of the soul as espoused by Christian authorities. Mm. Anytime when God seems to be distant or absent from my own lived experience. Well, I hear the words like confusing, pain, hurt, you don't hear God, and I'm thinking two questions. One, do I have to experience this? Is this something that I should anticipate if I'm not there? And then two, if I am there, how do I get past it? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Just to double down on that, Karen, having talked to quite a few people about this, this question is by far the most commonly asked. How do I avoid this? And if I'm there, how do I get out of it? Yeah, because pain equals I don't want to be there. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is brilliant, Karen. Thank you. Uh, and Nathan, likewise. Um, you know, I share this with uh, students through the years, and they said, how can a, a seminary professor like you experience a dark night of the soul or, <laughs> or these hardships yeah. or crises? And I said, let me use an airline analogy. On the journey, we need to fasten our seatbelts because the journey is likely to be rough. <laughs> and um, when I entered into this kind of a midlife uh, event where, God, where are you? I've been working like a, you know, hard and diligently for you and, and somehow you, you're more and more absent in my experience what happened is that God stepped in at that point mm -hmm. and, and directed me to a, a spiritual uh, companion, a gifted Christian that walked we walked together for two and a half years and as we walked together the, the place where we met lit up with the light of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. I, I had been led into a dark place but then God led me to the resources that I needed to come out on the other side. And it took time. It took, in this case, nearly three years. But uh, God stepped in to, to show me the need. And what he did for me, he does for all of his people, but in mm. different ways, not in the same way. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. As one Christian authority said, with God, there are no dittos. He deals with each of us individually, but he faithfully steps in to take us through the darkness if we trust him as scripture enjoins us to take courage and to fear not but to walk hand in hand with god through the the difficult time through the challenge and never give up mm, that's so good because then we say well what is my role what do i do and the answer is to wait uh, that god is the one who's going to lead you uh, to where you need to be next yeah i think there's a sense especially coming out of the productive life if you continue to hit the wall like you said, Bruce, I mean, the danger is, is that people will just spin off altogether and be like, hey, I tried this. It didn't work. I'm going to go try something else or I'm going to go get mine and whatever. But I think that the natural instinct for people coming out of the productive life when they hit the wall is to ask the question, what do I do? And more than a handful of times, I've counseled people and encouraged them that, Hey, your immediate response is to want to get out of this immediately. And I totally get that. I mean, nobody wants to be in a painful situation. But at the same time, I think that just like Job, who experienced an enormous loss, and his initial response was to sit down and to immediately talk to God and, hey, what is going on? Like you, Bruce, to, to pray what's happening and to wait for the Lord to 
send a friend or however he's going to interact with you individually to wait on that. And we're not conditioned to do that very well. <laughs> um, we kind of in a in a instant gratification kind of culture, we want a again, a formula to how do I fix this? And it's just not there. Yeah, well, you even said how, like, for people who continue to hit the wall, and my head goes, you can do this more than once? (laughs) And then I remember you say that these are fluid and that they can come again and that you can experience one of these stages more than once. And so, yes, you can hit this wall multiple times. And the the response should still be, you're going to wait. You're going to wait on the Lord to do what He needs to do in His way, in His time. Well, I know in my life, I mean, I, I experienced this. The first one that I experienced uh, was back in 2005. And I think the natural outcome of me slamming into the wall was a couple of different things. One, um, prior to that, if you knew me back then, then you know that uh, I was a little more rough around the edges than no. I am now. <laughs> I don't believe <laughs> you. For some people now, it's like shocking. <laughs> like, really? Um, but I didn't I didn't have a natural empathy for people. I was much more of like, a, come on. Get you, with the program. Yeah, get with the program. What do you mean you can't get off the ground? Like, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, you know? And uh, when I found myself, uh, what it felt like anyway was flat on my back with a boot on my throat, mm. you know, it was like, a, oh, this is what this is like. And I gained an empathy for people. And I also gained a deep sense of the beginning of the dying of my ego. I began to realize I'm not God. I began to realize I have a major savior complex. I remember I used to literally, the thought that would go through my head is, all right, Lord, if you don't use me, I don't know who you're going to use. So I have to do this. And, and remember thinking that that was like noble and, uh, man, that was just broken. But those kinds of things, the Lord was using that wall experience to begin to kill those things. I reflect on that and I come to the conclusion that may not be popular, that we are all, um, all like horses that need to be broken. Yeah. And uh, God uses the wall to break us, Mm. not only to get our attention, but to break us, uh, to crucify more and more of the old self as we move forward. And yet, Scripture commands us we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And so even at the wall, God is working, and he asks us to work too. And that is now the next stage of the journey actually is, is moving inward, to propel, to launch a, a deliberate inner journey, moving inward to engage, you know, our deepest selves, our hang-ups, our addictions, our idiosyncrasies, uh, embracing our fears, facing our demons, clarifying false images of God, mm. working on emotional wounds, restoring broken relationships, and to move inward. And here's where the uh, the practice of spiritual disciplines come waiting upon God's Word, reading God's Word reflectively, waiting upon God in prayer, uh, listening. Calvin said that God ordained prayer not so much for his sake, but for our sakes. Prayer is a spiritual discipline for our healing. And so we, uh, we keep a spiritual journal. We walk with a spiritual friend or companion. We attend workshops and retreats. In my case, God led me to this renewal community in New Mexico where I spent six weeks and which was uh, totally transforming for Mm -hmm. me. But he's going to deal with you in a different way. 
and he'll provide resources for for you and for your spouse and your friends in ways that are are much different than I traveled or Nathan traveled or or Karen traveled. I think the inward life is again a deliberate journey. So when we say, hey, sit and wait on God, that doesn't mean you just passively do nothing. Yeah, it's an know? active waiting. Yes, it's an active waiting. And it, and it's a another way of saying it is it's a deliberate waiting. Yeah. Um, you're, you're moving in to explore those spaces of your own woundedness um, to realize that you're not God. And frankly, too, to mature beyond the emotional high that can sometimes come from the productive life when you experience ministry, quote unquote, success, right? People encourage Where, you. Yeah, and... totally. People are patting you on the back. You're, you're, you're kind of like running in the fast lane. You feel yeah. like you're kind of God's gift to the church and, and those types of things. And the emotional high that comes from that can easily be connected to an identity where you're connecting the emotional high with God himself, so the false reality it totally is yeah like this emotional high is god and so i'm going to chase it no matter what like a drug and then yeah. yeah totally so like my i have a nine month old right now baby jules she's the cutest thing on the face of the planet preach that's what i'm talking about <laughs> all she knows is that there is this large person in her life who uh, comforts her and sustains her feeds her and when she cries, my wife breastfeeds her. And that's a not only the passage of nourishment, but also the emotional connection that's there. A guy named John Coe, who's lectured also at Biola, said in a lot of ways what happens in that in the wall in the inward life is that that emotional nourishment is withdrawn from us so that that connection where we believe that the emotional high we experience is God, that that's broken. So that God is like, hey, I'm not simply an emotion that you experience. I'm actually a person that you interact with. Realizing that, oh, wait a second, God is there regardless of whether I'm on this, you know, mountaintop mm -hmm. type experience and is actually a lot more complex than I thought he was. Well, you used the word disorienting earlier. Is that what you're talking about? It totally about? is. Yeah. It's, look, if, if the way we're oriented is true, then there's no need for a disorientation. Mm. But the way we're oriented, while in some ways is accurate, in a lot of ways is not. Those are false narratives that we've believed because of our own woundedness, brokenness, the woundedness that people have committed to us, the woundedness we've committed to other people. Mm. And so it takes that disorientation to strip away the false narratives, the, like Bruce said, the false images of God, so that you can be reoriented in a deeper way to what is actually yeah. real. D does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Well, and I'm listening to, uh, as we're talking about your ego need, needing to be stripped, and you're, you're going to have to let go of your pride because it takes a bit of courage and willingness to ask these hard questions. Uh, that instead of people uh, applauding you for your success, that you are taking a really deep look inside at what you actually believe and what's really going on. And that's way harder. Oh, yeah. Way harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the, then the quick fix, superficial, you know, emotional kind of, high. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Sorry, Bruce, we kind of went on a tangent there. <laughs> it's totally Nathan's fault. It's like, totally he just does fault. that. Get used to it. Anyway, <laughs> we'd, love, we'd love your thoughts on this as well, man. Sorry. It was an interesting uh, article written by Leighton Ford, um, the right-hand man of Billy Graham, uh, some years ago, when Leighton Ford, frankly, uh, in this article, relates how he burned out in ministry. Mm. And uh, he was due a sabbatical leave. And so what he did was... Uh, 
he reserved a place in New England in a cabin in the, in the woods, and he just brought his Bible and journal and the basic necessities of life and uh, spent two years there with his wife, just trusting, writing in his journal, reading scripture, walking in nature, taking an intentional inner journey to focus more on God. Where is God? What does God expect of me? What does he have in store for me? Mm. We all can't take two years off to do this, <laughs> yeah, right. but in I our wish. own ways, <laughs> we, can, um, we can practice healthy spiritual disciplines. You know, we can connect with reading spiritual books. We can... Uh, get into a, a small group, discussion group. We can write in our journal. We can um, practice neglected spiritual disciplines, and we can at attend retreats and workshops. And, and certainly we can walk with a, a gifted uh, spiritual friend or companion mm -hmm. to, to journey with us in this critical phase of our life of uh, journeying inward to know Christ now more deeply at the center of our life. The most significant shift for me as I have walked into the inward life was a, a shift away from, um, and this is just my own personal story again, uh, you know, if yours is different, then that's totally fine the way that God interacts with you. But for me personally, um, the most significant shift was away from feeling like that I had to constantly be doing things for God. And I really saw the end of the spiritual life as just productivity for the kingdom. That was the highest end. And the biggest shift happened when I realized, oh, wait, the highest end of the spiritual life is not what I can do for God, but it's actually God himself. And when that shift happened in my mind and in my heart, I radically changed. I don't know any other way to say it. So it's not necessarily that life slows down or gets any less busy, but your relationship with the Lord spiritually does seem to quiet. Well, I think like, like Bruce said something earlier about how the accomplishments and achievements of people, the more they mature, seem more and more hollow. Mm. That's very true. Uh, it's true for me. I mean, I, like that has been my experience. Like the things that I used to look at and be like, man, if I could just get over there. Well, then I got there. <laughs> You're and, like, this and, and isn't worth like, it. What the heck? You know, <laughs> so, but then the Lord, you know, is, is graciously wounding me in his mercy to begin to kill my ego. And the, the more and more my ego dies, the more and more I look at those accomplishments and achievements and I've got to do this and I've got to, we've got to be running this fast. And I just kind of shrug my shoulders and I'm like, eh, we don't. God is in the uh, minutia. He's in the details. I mean, this is one of the things that uh, Jonathan Edwards was so good at in typology is that Edwards began to learn to see God in everything. And so going in New England to a cabin for two years and camping out with your spouse and looking for God like that sounds like, yeah, let's do that. You know, and that doesn't. Somebody might look at that type of spiritual expression and be like, you just wasted two yeah, years. you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. And it's like, actually, no, that's exactly where God had him. You know, so good. Moment. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you liked it, subscribe, tell your friends. As always, if you have any questions, please email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Bye. Peace.